Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Section 13, Book the 13th of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer, translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 13, Book the 13th. Argument. Neptune engages on the Grecian side, and the battle proceeds. Deiphobus is repulsed by Meriones. Teucer kills Imbrius, and Hector Amphimachus. Neptune, assuming the likeness of Thoas, exhorts Idomeneus, who goes forth with Meriones to battle, when the former slays Othryoneus and Asius. Deiphobus attacks Idomeneus, but misses him, and slays Hypsenor. Idomeneus slays Alcathus, over whose body a sharp contest ensues. But after Jove then had brought the Trojans and Hector near the ships, he left them to endure labor and toil at them incessantly. But he himself turned back his shining eyes apart, looking towards the land of the equestrian Thracians and the close-fighting Mycenaeans, and the illustrious Hippomolgi, milk-nourished, simple and living, and most just men. But to Troy he no longer now turned his bright eyes, for he did not suppose in his mind that any one of the mortals going would aid either the Trojans or the Greeks. Nor did King Neptune keep a vain watch, for he sat aloft upon the highest summit of the woody Thracian Samos, admiring the war and the battle. For from thence all Ida was visible, and the city of Priam was visible, and the ships of the Greeks. Then coming out of the sea he sat down and pitied the Greeks, subdued by the Trojans, and was very indignant with Jove. But presently he descended down from the rugged mountain, rapidly advancing on foot, and the high hills and woods trembled beneath the immortal feet of Neptune advancing. Thrice indeed he strode, advancing, and with the fourth step he reached Aegea, his destined goal. There distinguished mansions, golden, glittering, ever incorruptible, were erected to him in the depths of the sea. Coming thither he yoked beneath his chariot the brazen-footed steeds, swiftly flying, crested with golden manes. But he himself placed gold around his person, took his golden lash, well wrought, and descended his chariot. He proceeded to drive over the billows, and the monsters of the deep sported beneath him on all sides from their recesses, nor were ignorant of their king. For joy the sea departed, and they flew very rapidly, nor was the brazen axle moist beneath. And his well-bounding steeds bore him to the ships of the Greeks. Now there is an ample cave in the recesses of the deep sea, between Tenedus and rugged Imbrus. There earth-shaking Neptune stopped his horses, loosing them from the chariot, and cast beside them ambrosial fodder to eat, and round their feet he threw golden fetters, irrefragable, indissoluble, that they might there steadily await their king returning, but he departed towards the army of the Greeks. The Trojans, however, in crowds, like unto a flame or a whirlwind, followed Hector, the son of Priam, with insatiable ardor, shouting loudly and exclaiming, for they hoped to capture the ships of the Greeks and slay all the Greeks beside them, but earth-ruling, earth-shaking Neptune, coming from the deep sea, aroused the Greeks, assimilating his person, and indefatigable voice to Calchas, the Ajaces he first addressed, though themselves were earnest. Ye Ajaces, ye indeed, mindful of valor, not of direful flight, will preserve the people of the Greeks. 
for in any other place indeed i do not dread the audacious hands of the trojans who in great numbers have surmounted the great wall because the well-grieved greeks will sustain them all but in that place i grievously fear lest we suffer anything where infuriated hector like unto a flame leads on who boasts to be the son of almighty jove but may some of the gods thus put it in your minds that ye stand firmly yourselves and exhort others thus may ye drive him although impetuous from the swift sailing ships even if jove himself excites him he said and earth-ruling neptune striking both with his sceptre filled them with violent might and made their limbs light and their feet and hands above but he like as a swift-winged hawk is impelled to fly which lifted up from a rugged lofty rock has hastened to pursue another bird over the plain so darted earth-shaking neptune from them but fleet ajax the son of oileus recognized him first of the two and straightway addressed ajax the son of telamon o ajax since some one of the gods who possesses olympus likening himself to the soothsayer exhorts us to fight beside the ships neither is this calchas the prophesying augur for i readily recognize the traces of his feet and legs when departing for thus the gods are easily distinguished even to myself the soul within my bosom is more incited to war and to fight and my feet beneath and hands above eagerly desire it but him telamonian ajax answering addressed so also to me are by strong hands upon my spear eager and my courage is aroused and i am hurried along by both my feet under me and i eagerly long even alone to combat with hector the son of priam insatiably raging thus they addressed these words to each other joyful in a desire of battle which the god had infused into their minds in the meanwhile the earth-ruler neptune aroused the achaeans in the rear who were recruiting their spirit at the swift ships whose limbs were at the same time relaxed with toilsome labour and the grief was arising in their minds beholding the trojans who with a tumult had surmounted the vast wall but beholding them they poured forth tears from beneath their eyebrows for they expected not to escape destruction but the earth-shaker intervening easily aroused the brave phalanxes to teucer and laius he first came exhorting them and to the hero peneleus and thoas and Epirus, and to meriones and antilochus skilful in war these he encouraging spoke winged words o shame argives young men i trust that our ships will be preserved by your fighting but if ye be remiss in the destructive battle the day is now come for us to be subdued by the trojans ye gods surely i behold with my eyes a great marvel terrible which i never expected would be brought to pass that the trojans should approach our ships who formerly like unto timid stags which through the wood are the prey of lynxes pards and wolves foolishly straying about weak nor fit for combat so the trojans formerly would not stand even for a little against the might and prowess of the greeks but now far away from the city they combat at the hollow ships through the perverseness of our general and the indifference of the troops who disputing with him are unwilling to defend the swift ships but are slain among them yet although in reality the hero the son of atreus wide ruling agamemnon be altogether in fault in that he hath dishonoured the swift-footed son of peleus still it is by no means our duty to be remiss in battle but let us sooner repair the mischief the minds of the brave are easily appeased but they by no means honourably remit your impetuous valour being all the bravest in the army i indeed would not quarrel with a man who should desist from combat being unwarlike but with you i am indignant from my heart o soft ones surely will ye soon create some greater evil by this inertness but do each of you in his mind ponder on the shame and reproach for certainly a mighty contest hath arisen 
now indeed brave hector going good in the din of war combats at the ships and hath burst through the gates and the long bar thus then neptune exhorting aroused the greeks but round the two ajaces firm phalanxes stood which not even mars coming against them would have found fault with nor minerva the confounder of armies for the bravest selected awaited the trojans and noble hector knitting spear with spear shield with shield one upon another so that shield pressed upon shield helmet upon helmet and man upon man and the horse-haired helmets of them nodding touched each other with their splendid ridges so closely stood they to one another and spears in the act of being hurled were brandishing from their daring hands whilst they wished to go straight against the enemy and were eager to fight but the combined trojans first made the attack and impetuous hector first rushed against them as a destructively rolling stone from a rock which a wintry torrent drives down the brow having burst with a mighty shower the stays of the rugged rock and bounding along it rolls and the forest resounds beneath it but straightway it runs on interruptedly until it reached the plain but then it rolls no longer though impelled so hector for a while threatened that he would easily come as far as the sea to the tents and ships of the greeks slaughtering but when now he met the firm phalanxes he stopped being come into close contact and the sons of the greeks opposing repulsed him from them striking him with their swords and two-edged spears but retiring he was compelled to withdraw and he cried out shouting audibly to the trojans ye trojans and lycians and close-fighting dardanians stand firm not long will the greeks withstand me although they have drawn themselves up in very dense array but i conceive they will retire from my spear if in truth the most powerful of the gods the high thundering husband of juno hath urged me on so saying he aroused the might and courage of each but Deiphobus, the son of priam walked amongst them high-minded and he held his shield equal on all sides before him proceeding with light step and advancing under protection of his shield then Meriones took aim with his shining spear and struck him nor did he miss upon the bull's hide shield equal on all sides which he did not pierce for the long spear far before was broken at the socket but aphobus held his bull's hide shield far from him for he dreaded in his mind the spear of warlike Meriones. but that hero fell back into the column of his companions for he was grievously enraged on both accounts both for the loss of the victory and of the spear which he had broken accordingly he proceeded to pass by the tents and ships of the greeks to bring a long spear which had been left in his tent whilst the others fought and a mighty tumult arose then telamonian teucer first slew a hero the warrior imbrius son of mentor rich in steeds and he dwelt at Pedaeum before the sons of the greeks arrived and had married medesicasti the illegitimate daughter of priam but when the equally plied ships of the greeks arrived he came back to ilium and excelled among the trojans and dwelt with priam who honoured him equally with his sons him the son of telamon smote under the ear with his long javelin and plucked out the spear but he indeed fell like an ash which on the summit of a mountain conspicuous from afar cut down with a brazen axe strews its tender foliage on the earth thus he fell and his armour variegated with brass rang about him then teucer rushed on eager to strip him of his armour but hector hurled his shining spear at him hastening he however seeing it from the opposite side avoided by a small space the brazen spear and hector wounded with his javelin on the breast amphimachus son of cetaeus the son of actor advancing to the battle and falling he gave a crash and his arms rang upon him then hector rushed to tear from the head of magnanimous amphimachus the helmet fitted to his temples but ajax hurled with his shining spear at hector rushing on 
yet it never reached his body for he was protected all over with terrible brass but he smote him upon the boss of the shield and repulsed him with great violence and he retired from both bodies and the greeks drew them away then stycheus and noble menestheus the leaders of the athenians carried amphimachus to the army of the greeks but the two ajaces eager for impetuous combat carried imbrius as two lions bear a goat through the thick corpse wood snatching it from the sharp-toothed dogs holding it high above the earth in their jaws so the two warriors the ajaces holding him imbrius aloft stripped off his armour but the son of oileus enraged on account of amphimachus severed his head from his tender neck and sent it rolling like a ball through the crowd but it fell before the feet of hector in the dust then indeed was neptune grieved at heart for his grandson slain in the grievous fight and he proceeded to go along the tents and ships of the greeks exhorting the greeks and preparing disasters for the trojans but spear-renowned idomeneus then met him returning from a companion who had lately come to him from the battle wounded in the ham with a sharp brass whom his comrades had carried in and he having given directions to the surgeons was returning from his tent for he still desired to participate in the fight him king neptune addressed assimilating himself as to his voice to theus son of andraemon who governed the aetolians throughout all pleuron and lofty caledon and who was honoured by the people as a god Andomeneus, thou counsellor of the cretans where indeed are the threats gone with which the sons of the greeks threaten the trojans whom again in turn Idomeneus, the leaders of the cretans addressed no man o theus as far as i know is at present to blame for we are all skilled in warring neither does disheartening fear detain any one nor does any one yielding to sloth shirk evil strife but thus doubtless it will be agreeable to the all-powerful son of saturn that here far away from argus the greeks shall perish inglorious but thoas for formerly thou wast warlike and urged on others when thou didst behold them negligent so now desist not thyself but exhort each man but him earth-shaking neptune then answered never may that man o Domineus, return from troy but let him here be the sport of the dogs whosoever voluntarily this day shall relax from fighting but come taking up arms advance hither for it behooves us to hasten these things if we may be of any service although but two for useful is the valour of men even the very pusillanimous if combined whereas we both understand how to fight even with the brave so saying the god departed again to the toil of heroes but idomeneus when now he had reached his well-made tent put on his rich armour round his body and seized two spears and hastened to go like unto the lightning which the son of saturn seizing in his hand brandishes from glittering olympus showing a sign to mortals and brilliant are its rays so shone the brass around the breast of him running then meriones his good attendant met him yet near the tent for he was going to fetch a brazen spear and the strength of idomeneus addressed him meriones son of molus swift of foot dearest of my companions why comest thou thus quitting the war and the contest art thou at all wounded and does the point of a spear afflict thee or comest thou to me on my message for i myself am not desirous to sit within my tent but to fight but him prudent meriones in turn answered idomeneus thou counsellor of the brazen-mailed cretans i come if there be any spear left within thy tents to take it because i indeed have broken that which i formerly had having struck the shield of ferocious deiphobus whom again in turn idomeneus leader of the cretans addressed thou wilt find if thou desirest to select from them one and twenty spears standing in my tent against the shining walls which i have taken from the slain trojans for i affirm that i do not fight with hostile men standing at a distance from them hence i have both spears and bossy shields and helmets and corslets brightly polished 
but him again prudent Meriones addressed in turn at my tent also and black ship are there many spoils of the trojans but they are not near so that i might take them for neither do i conceive that i am forgetful of valour but i stand among the foremost in glory-giving battle whenever the contest of war has arisen i am rather unobserved perhaps when fighting by some other of the brazen-mailed greeks but i think that thou knowest me whom again idomeneus leader of the cretans addressed in turn i know what thou art as to valour what necessity is there for thee to enumerate these things for if now all we the bravest at the ship should be selected for an ambuscade where the courage of men is especially distinguished where both the coward as well as the brave man is made apparent for the complexion of the coward on the one hand is changed from this to that nor is his heart calm within his bosom so that he can rest without trembling but he shifts his position and sits upon both his feet whilst his heart greatly palpitates within his breast as he is expecting death and the chattering of his teeth arises but neither is a complexion of the brave man changed nor is he at all disturbed after he first sits down in the ambush of heroes but he burns to be mingled with all haste and direful fight no one in that case would find fault with thy courage and might for if labouring in the battle thou wert wounded from a distance or smitten in close fight the weapon would not fall upon thy neck behind nor upon thy back but it would pierce through either thy breast or thy stomach as thou wast rushing forward amid the conflict of foremost combatants but come no longer let us speak of these things standing like infatuated persons lest perhaps some one chides us inordinately but do thou going to the tent take a strong spear thus he spake and Meriones, equal to swift mars quickly took from the tent a brazen spear and he went along with idomeneus very eager for war but as man-destroying mars enters the battle with whom terror his dear son at the same time powerful and undismayed follows who strikes fear into the warrior even of resolute soul these indeed are armed from thrace along with the ephiri or with the magnanimous phlegians neither do they hear both but they give glory to one or the other so Meriones and Idomeneus, leaders of heroes, advanced to battle, equipped with helmets of glittering brass, and Meriones first addressed him in these words, Son of Deucalion, where dost thou meditate to enter the throng, to the right of all the army, or at the centre, or upon the left, since nowhere else in the battle do I conceive that the long-haired Greeks so much require support? But him Idomeneus, the leader of the Cretans, in turn addressed, Among the centre-ships, indeed, there are others to aid them, both the Ajaces and Teoser, who is the most skilful of the greeks in archery and brave also in standing fight who will sufficiently harass even to satiety hector the son of priam although most urgent of battle and although being very gallant hard will it be for him although very desirous of fighting having overpowered their strength and invincible hands to fire the ships unless the son of saturn himself cast a flaming torch upon the swift ships nor indeed will mighty telamonian ajax yield to any man who may be immortal and who may eat the fruit of ceres who is vulnerable by brass and by large stones not even to warlike achilles would he give way at least in standing fight but in speed he is by no means able to contend with him guide us therefore to the left of the army that we may quickly know whether we shall afford glory to any one or any one to us thus he spoke but Meriones, equal to rapid mars began to proceed until he came to that part of the army whither he had ordained him but they when they beheld idomeneus like unto a flame in might both him and his attendant in variously wrought armour they all exhorting one another along the crowd advanced against him and an equal contest arose at the sterns of their ships and as when storms sweep along driven by the shrill wind on a day when the dust around the roads is very abundant and they at the same time raise up a large cloud of dust 
so came on the battle of these together and they were eager in their minds to slaughter one another throughout the throng with the sharp brass and the mortal destroying combat bristles with the long spears which they held flesh-rending and the brazen splendor from the gleaming helmets the newly burnished corslets and the shining shields coming together dazzled their eyes very brave-hearted would he be who when beholding their toil could have rejoiced and would not be disturbed but the two powerful sons of saturn favoring different sides planned grievous toils for the heroes on the one hand jove willed victory to the trojans and to hector glorifying swift-footed achilles yet he desired not entirely to destroy the grecian people before ilium but was honoring thetis and her magnanimous son on the other hand neptune coming amongst them encouraged the greeks having secretly emerged from the hoary deep for he grieved that they should be subdued by the trojans and he was greatly indignant with jove the same race indeed was to both and the same lineage but jove was born first and knew more for this reason neptune avoided aiding them openly but always kept privately inciting them through the army assimilated to a man they indeed alternately stretched over both the cord of vehement contest and equally destructive war irrefragable and indissoluble which relaxed the knees of many then although half hoary adomineus encouraging the greeks rushing upon the trojans created night for he slew orithionius who had come from cabesus staying within priam's house he had lately come after the rumour of the war and demanded cassandra the most beautiful in form of the daughters of priam without a dowry and he had promised a mighty deed to repulse in spite of themselves the sons of the greeks from troy but to him aged priam had promised her and pledged himself to give her therefore he fought trusting in these promises but idomeneus took aim at him with his shining spear and hurling it struck him strutting proudly nor did the brazen corslet which he wore resist it but he fixed it in the middle of his stomach and falling he gave a crash and the other boasted and said othryoneus above all men indeed do i praise thee if thou wilt now in truth accomplish all which thou hast undertaken for dardanian priam but he also promised thee his daughter we likewise promising these things will accomplish them to thee we will give thee the most beautiful in form of the daughters of the son of atreus to wed bringing her from argus if along with us thou wilt destroy the well-inhabited city of ilium but fall that we may treat with thee respecting the marriage of sea-traversing ships since we are by no means bad brothers-in-law so saying the hero idomeneus dragged him by the foot through the brisk battle but to him asius came as an avenger on foot before his steeds which his attendant charioteer always kept breathing over his shoulders and in his mind he longed to strike idomeneus but idomeneus anticipating him smote him with his spear in the throat below the chin and drove the brass quite through and he fell as when some oak falls or white poplar or towering pine which timber workers have cut down upon the mountains with lately wedded axes to become ship timber so he lay stretched out before his horses and chariot gnashing his teeth grasping the bloody dust but the charioteer was deprived of the senses which he previously had nor dared he turn back the horses that he might escape from the hands of the enemy but him warlike antilochus striking transfixed in the middle with his spear nor did the brazen corslet which he wore resist but he fixed it in the centre of his stomach then panting he fell from the well-made chariot seat and antilochus the son of magnanimous nestor drove away the horses from the trojans to the well-armed greeks but deiphobus enraged on account of asius drew very near to idomeneus and hurled with his shining spear 
Idomeneus, however, having perceived it opposite, avoided the brazen spear, for he was concealed behind his shield, equal on all sides, which he bore, constructed of the hides of bulls, and glittering brass, fitted with two handles. Behind this he collected himself entirely, and the brazen spear flew over him, but the shield returned a dry sound, the spear grazing it obliquely. Yet he, Deiphobus, sent it not in vain from his heavy hand, but he struck Hypsinor, son of Hippasus, the shepherd of the people, upon the liver below the breast, and straightway relaxed his knees under him. But Deiphobus vainly boasted over him, loudly exclaiming, Surely not avenged lies Aeseus! I rather think that he will rejoice in his mind, though going into the strong-gated, massy dwelling of Hades, since I have given him a guide. Thus he spoke. But grief came upon the Greeks at his boasting, and it particularly agitated the mind of warlike Antilochus. Yet grieved as he was, he neglected not his companion, but running he protected him, and covered him over with his shield. Him then his two dear companions, Mesistius, son of Achaeus, and noble Alastor supporting, bore to the hollow ships, deeply groaning. In the meantime Idomeneus ceased not his mighty valour, but always burned either to cover some of the Trojans with pitchy night, or himself to fall with a crash, repelling destruction from the Greeks. Then the hero Alcathus, the beloved son of Aesietes, and he was a son-in-law of Anchises, for he had married Hippodamia, the eldest of his daughters, whom their father and venerable mother loved from their hearts, whilst in their home, because she excelled all of her age in beauty, and accomplishments, and prudence, for which reason also the most distinguished man in wide Troy had wedded her, him Neptune subdued under Idomeneus, having dimmed his shining eyes, and fettered his fair limbs. For he was able neither to fly back nor to turn aside, but him standing motionless like a pillar or lofty branching tree, the hero Idomeneus wounded with his spear in the middle of his breast, and burst the brazen coat around him, which formerly warded off destruction from his body. But then it sent forth a dry sound, severed by the spear. Falling, he gave a crash, and the spear was fixed in his heart, which, palpitating, shook even the extremity of the spear, and there at length the impetuous Mars spent its force. But Idomeneus boasted prodigiously over him, loudly exclaiming, Deiphobus, do we judge rightly that it is a fair return, that three should be slain for one, since thus thou boastest? But do thou thyself also, wretch, stand against me, that thou mayest know of what nature I am, who have come hither the offspring of Jove, who first begat Minos, the guardian of Crete. Minos again begat Deucalion, his blameless son, and Deucalion begat me, king over many men in wide Crete. But now the ships have brought me hither, an evil both to thee, and to thy father, and the other Trojans. Thus he spoke. But Deiphobus hesitated between two opinions, whether falling back, he should join to himself some one of the magnanimous Trojans, or make trial although alone. But to him, thus deliberating, it appeared preferable to go in search of Aeneas, whom he found standing at the rear of the army, for he was ever indignant with noble Priam, because he by no means honoured him, though being valiant among heroes, and standing near he addressed to him winged words. Aeneas, thou counsellor of the Trojans, now does it greatly behoove thee to aid thy brother-in-law, if indeed any regard reaches thee. But follow, let us bring aid to Alcathus, who being thy brother-in-law, nourished thee whilst very young, in his palace, and whom spear-famed Idomeneus hath slain. Thus he spoke, and roused the courage in his breast, and he, greatly desirous of battle, went to meet Idomeneus. Yet fear seized not Idomeneus like a tender boy, but he stood still like a boar in the mountains, confident in his prowess, and who abides the mighty din of men advancing against him in a desert place, and bristles up his back. 
his eyes too gleam with fire and he whets his teeth eager to keep at bay both dogs and men so spear-renowned idomeneus awaited aeneas swift in the battle din coming against him nor retired but he shouted to his companions looking to ascaphus and aphareus and apyrus and Meriones and antilochus skilful in fight exhorting these he addressed to them winged words hither my friends and aid me alone for i greatly dread swift-footed aeneas rushing on who is coming upon thee who is very powerful to slay men in battle and possesses the bloom of youth which is the greatest strength for if we were of the same age with the spirit that i now possess quickly would either he bear off great glory or i would thus he spoke but they all having one determination in their minds stood near him inclining their shields upon their shoulders aeneas on the other hand animated his companions looking towards deiphobus paris and noble agenor who together with himself were leaders of the trojans these also the people followed as sheep follow from their pasture after the ram in order to drink and the shepherd then is rejoiced in his mind so was the soul of aeneas gladdened in his breast when he beheld a body of troops following himself these therefore engaged in close fight round alcathus with long spears whilst the brass resounded horribly on the breasts of them aiming at each other through the crowd but two warlike men conspicuous among the rest aeneas and idomeneus equal to mars longed to lacerate each other's flesh with a ruthless brass but aeneas first hurled his javelin at idomeneus but he perceiving it opposite avoided the brazen spear and the spear of aeneas sank quivering into the earth for it fled in vain from his sturdy hand idomeneus next smote oenomus in the middle of the stomach and the spear burst the cavity of his corslet and penetrating drank his entrails through but falling amid the dust he grasped the earth with the hollow of his hand then idomeneus plucked out the long spear from his body but was unable to tear off the other rich armour from his shoulders for he was pressed hard by weapons for no longer were the sinews of his feet firm as he rushed either to hasten on after his own dart or avoid that of another wherefore also in standing fight he warded off the fatal day nor did his feet any longer bear him with ease in retreating from the battle but against him gradually retiring deiphobus took aim with his glittering spear for he ever had a rooted hatred towards him but then too he missed and struck with his javelin ascalphus the son of mars and drove the stout spear through his shoulder and tailing amidst the dust he grasped the earth with his hand not yet however had loudly roaring impetuous mars heard that his son had fallen in the violent fight but he sat upon the summit of olympus beneath golden clouds excluded from the battle by the will of jove where also the other mortal gods were restrained from the war in the meantime they engaged in close fight around ascalaphus Deiphobus indeed tore the shining helmet from ascalaphus and meriones equal to swift mars springing upon him smote him with his spear in the arm and the crested cask falling from his hand rang upon the earth immediately meriones leaping upon him like a vulture plucked out the tough spear from the lower part of his arm and retired back again into the crowd of his comrades but him polites his own brother throwing his hands round his waist carried out of the dread sounding battle till he reached his fleet steeds which awaited him in the rear of the combat and the war having both a charioteer and a variegated car which then carried him towards the city groaning heavily and afflicted and the blood flowed from his recently wounded hand but the others kept fighting and an unquenchable clamour arose then aeneas rushing upon aphareus the son of calator smote him with his sharp spear upon the throat when turned towards him and his head was bent to one side and then then his shield clung to him and his helmet and around him life-destroying death was spread antilochus however observing thoas turning round attacking wound him 
and cut away all the vein which running quite along the back reaches to the neck all this he cut off but he fell back on his back in the dust stretching out both hands to his beloved companions then antilochus sprang upon him and stripped the armor from his shoulders looking around but the trojans surrounding him struck his wide and ornamented shield with their darts nor were they able to graze with the dire brass the tender body of antilochus within it because earth-shaking neptune protected the son of nestor all round even amongst many weapons for never indeed was he apart from the enemy but he turned himself about among them nor did he hold his spear without motion but continually moving it was whirled about and he prepared within his mind either to hurl it at some one afar off or to rush upon some one close at hand but meditating these things amid the throng he escaped not the notice of adamas the son of aeseus who smote him in the middle of his shield with the sharp brass attacking him in close combat but azure-haired neptune weakened the spear grudging him the life of antilochus part of it remained there like a stake burned in the fire in the shield of antilochus and the other half lay upon the ground whilst he gave backwards into the crowd of his companions shunning death Meriones, however following him departing smote him with his spear between the private parts and the navel where a wound is particularly painful to miserable mortals there he fixed a spear in him and he falling struggling panting around the spear as an ox when cowherds and mountains forcibly binding him with twisted cords lead him away unwilling so he wounded throbbed though but for a short time and not very long until the hero Meriones, coming near plucked the spear from his body and darkness veiled his eyes but helenus close at hand struck deipyrus upon the temple with his huge thracian sword and cut away the three-coned helmet which being dashed off fell upon the ground and some one of the combating greeks lifted it up having rolled between his feet whilst dim night enveloped his eyes then grief seized the son of atreus menelaus brave in the din of battle and he advanced threatening the hero king helenus brandishing his sharp spear whilst the other drew the horn of his bow together then they darted the one eager to launch his fir-tree spear and the other an arrow from the string then indeed the son of priam smote him in the breast with an arrow on the cavity of the corslet but the bitter shaft rebounded as when from the broad winnowing fan in a large threshing-floor the black-coated beans or vetches leap at the shrill blast and the force of the winnerer so strongly repulsed by the corslet of glorious menelaus the bitter arrow flew afar but menelaus the son of atreus brave in the den of battle smote him upon the hand which held his well-polished bow and in the bow the brazen spear was fixed from the opposite side through his hand then he retired back into the crowd of his companions avoiding death hanging down his hand at his side but the ashen spear was trailed along with him and then magnanimous agenor extracted it from his hand and bound the hand itself slingways in well-twisted sheep's wool which his attendant carried for the shepherd of the people but pisander went direct against glorious menelaus because evil fate led him towards the end of death to be subdued by thee o menelaus in the dire battle when therefore they were near advancing against each other the son of atreus indeed missed and his spear was turned aside from him but pisander smote the shield of glorious menelaus nor could he drive the spear quite through because the broad shield kept it off and the spear was broken at the extremity still he rejoiced in his mind and hoped for victory the son of atreus however drawing his silver-studded sword sprang upon pisander but he drew from beneath his shield a handsome battle-axe of well-wrought brass fixed upon either side of an olive handle long well polished and at once they struck each other then he pisander cut away the cone of the helmet 
thick with horsehair, under the very crest, but Menelaus smote him, approaching upon the forehead, above the root of the nose, and the bones crashed, and his blood-stained eyes fell at his feet upon the ground in the dust, and falling he writhed. Then he, Menelaus, placing his heel upon his breast, despoiled him of his armor, and boasting spoke this speech, Thus, then, shall ye abandon the ships of the Greeks, who possess swift steeds, ye treaty-breaking Trojans, insatiate of dire battle? Of other injury and disgrace ye indeed lack nothing with which ye have injured me, vile dogs, nor have ye at all dreaded in your minds the heavy wrath of high-thundering hospitable Jove, who will yet destroy for you your lofty city. Ye who unprovoked departed, carrying off my virgin spouse, and much wealth, after ye had been hospitably received by her, now again do ye eagerly desire to hurl destructive fire upon the sea-traversing ships, and to slay the Grecian heroes. But ye shall yet be restrained, impetuous as ye be, from war. O Father Jove, assuredly they say that thou excellest all others, men and gods, in prudence, yet from thee do all these things proceed. How much dost thou gratify these insolent Trojan men, whose violence is ever pernicious, and who cannot be satisfied with war, equally destructive to all? Of all things is there satiety, of sleep, of love, of sweet singing, and of faultless dancing, with which one would much more readily satisfy his desire than with war. But the Trojans are insatiate of battle. So saying, having stripped the bloody armor from the body, illustrious Menelaus gave it to his companions, whilst he, advancing, was again mixed with the foremost combatants. Then Harpalion, the son of King Pylaemenes, who had then followed his dear father to wage war at Troy, leaped upon him, nor returned he back to his native land. He it was who then, close at hand, struck the middle of Atridides' shield with his lance, nor was he able to drive it quite through the brass, but he retired back into the crowd of his companions, avoiding death, looking around on all sides, lest anyone should touch his body with a spear. Meriones, however, shot a brazen-pointed arrow at him retreating, and struck him upon the right hip, and the arrow penetrated to the other side, through the bladder below the bone, sinking down therefore in the same place breathing out his life in the arms of his beloved companions like a worm he lay stretched upon the ground whilst his black blood flowed and moistened the earth around him the magnanimous aphlagonians were employed and lifting him up upon a chariot they bore him to sacred ilium grieving and with them went his father shedding tears but no vengeance was taken for his dead son but Paris was greatly enraged in his soul on account of his being slain for he had been his guest among many paphlagonians Wherefore, enraged on his account, he sent forth a brazen arrow. Now there was one Eucanor, son of the diviner Polydus, wealthy and brave, inhabiting a dwelling at Corinth, who, well knowing his fatal destiny, had arrived in a ship. For often had Polydus, good old man, told him, that he would perish in his halls of a grievous disease, or be subdued by the Trojans among the ships of the Greeks. Wherefore he avoided at once the severe mulct of the Achaeans, and odious disease, that he might not suffer sorrows in his mind him paris smote below the jaw and the ear and his spirit quickly departed from his members and hateful darkness seized him thus indeed they fought like unto a burning fire but hector dear to jove had not learned nor knew at all how at the left of the ships his people were being slaughtered by the greeks for the victory was on the point of being the grecians so much did earth-shaking neptune encourage the greeks and moreover himself assisted with his strength but he hector pressed on where first he had sprung within the gates and walls breaking the thick ranks of the shielded Greeks. There were the ships of Ajax and Protesilus drawn up upon the shore of the hoary sea, but above them the wall was built very low. There themselves and their horses were most impetuous in the combat. 
there the Boetians and long-robed Ionians, the Locrians, the Pythians, and the illustrious Epeans restrained him from the ships, fiercely rushing on, but were unable to drive away from them noble Hector, like unto a flame. The chosen men of the Athenians stood in the van, among whom Menestheus, son of Pitaeus, had the command, and with him followed Phidus, Stichius, and brave Bias, Meges, the son of Phaeus, Amphion and Dracius led the Epeans, and over the Pythians were Medon and Podarches, steady in fight. Medon was indeed the spurious offspring of godlike Oileus, and the brother of Ajax, but he dwelt at Philasi, away from his native country, having slain a man, the brother of his stepmother Areopus, whom Oileus had married. But the other was a son of Iphiclus, of Philasi. These in arms before the magnanimous Pythians fought among the Boetians, defending the ships. But Ajax, the swift son of Oileus, never separated from Telamonian Ajax, not even for a little time. But as in a follow field two black bullocks possessing equal spirit draw a well-joined plough, but meanwhile copious sweat breaks forth around the roots of their horns, and them the well-polished yoke alone separates on either side, advancing along the furrows, and the plough cuts up the bottom of the soil, so they twain joined together stood very near to each other, and then many and brave troops followed the son of Telamon as companions who received from him his shield whenever fatigue and sweat came upon his limbs. But the Locrians followed not the great-souled son of Oilus, for their heart remained not firm to them in the standing fight, because they had not brazen helmets crested with horsehair, nor had they well-orbed shields and ashen spears. But they followed along with him to Ilium, trusting in the bows and the well-twisted sheep's wool, with which, frequently hurling, they broke the phalanxes of the Trojans, at that time indeed these the ajaces in the van with their variously wrought armour fought against the trojans and brazen armed hector whilst the locrians shooting from the rear lay concealed nor were the trojans any longer mindful of combat for the arrows put them in confusion then surely would the trojans have retreated with loss from the ships and tents to lofty ilium had not polydamus standing near addressed bold hector hector thou art impossible to be persuaded by advice because indeed a god hath given thee above others warlike deeds for this reason dost thou also desire to be more skilled than others in counsel but by no means canst thou thyself obtain all things at once to one indeed hath the deity given warlike deeds to another dancing and to another the harp and singing to another again far-sounding jove implants a prudent mind in his bosom of which many men reap the advantage as prudence even preserves cities and he himself who possesses it especially knows its value yet will i speak as appears to me best because the encircling host of war burns round thee on all sides and the magnanimous trojans since they have crossed the walls some indeed stand apart with their arms and others fight but the fewer against the greater number scattered amongst the ships but retiring back summon hither all the chiefs and then we can better discuss the whole plan whether we shall enter upon the many-benched ships if indeed the deity will give us victory or depart uninjured from the barks because of a truth i fear lest the greeks repay their debt of yesterday since a man insatiate in war still remains at the ships who i conceive will no longer abstain entirely from battle thus spoke polydamus but the faultless advice pleased hector and immediately he leaped with his armour from the chariot to the ground and addressing him spoke winged words polydamus do thou retain here all the bravest whilst i will come back again immediately after i have given proper orders to the troops he said and shouting he rushed on like unto a snowy mountain and flew through the trojans and the allies 
but they all crowded round valor-loving polydamus the son of panthus as soon as they heard the voice of hector he however ranged through the foremost combatants seeking if he could anywhere find daphobus the mighty king of helenus and adamas the son of asias and asias the son of hertacus some he found no longer quite unhurt nor yet destroyed whilst others again lay at the sterns of the ships of the greeks having lost their lives by the hands of the greeks and others were stricken or wounded within the wall but he quickly found noble alexander the husband of fair-haired helen on the left of the lamentable battle cheering of his companions and encouraging them to fight and standing near he addressed him with reproachful words accursed paris fine only in person woman-mad seducer where are daphobus and the might of king helenus and adamas the son of asias and asias the son of hertacus where also is othryoneus now lofty ilium all perishes from its summit now is its final destruction certain but him godlike alexander in turn addressed hector since it is thy intention to find fault with me when innocent at some other time perhaps i may be more neglectful of the fight but not now since neither did my mother bear me altogether unwarlike for from the time when thou didst stir up the battle of thy companions at the ships from that time remaining here have we engaged incessantly with the greeks and those comrades are dead for whom thou inquirest they phobus and the might of king helenus alone have withdrawn both wounded in the hand with long spears but the son of saturn hath warded off death from them but now lead on wheresoever thy heart and soul urge thee and we will follow with determined minds nor do i think that thou wilt be at all in want of valour as much strength as in us it is not possible even for one although keenly desirest to fight beyond his strength so saying the hero persuaded the mind of his brother and they hastened to advance towards that place where especially was the battle and contest round cebrionus and excellent polydamus falces and ortheus and godlike polyphotes and palmus and ascanius and morris the sons of hippotion who the day before had come as a relief guard from fertile ascania and jove then urged them to fight but they marched like unto the blast of boisterous winds which rushes down to the plain urged by the thunder of father jove and with a dreadful tumult is mingled with the ocean and in it rise many boiling billows of the much resounding sea swollen whitened with foam first indeed some and then others following so the trojans first indeed some in battle array and then others glittering in brass followed along with their leaders but hector the son of priam equal to manslaughtering mars led the van and held before him his shield equal on all sides thick with skins and much brass was laid over it and round his temples his gleaming helmet was shaken stepping forward he tried the phalanxes around on every side if perchance they would give way to him advancing under cover of his shield yet he disturbed not the courage of the greeks in their breasts but ajax far striding first challenged him o noble sir draw nearer why dost thou thus frighten the greeks we greeks are by no means unskilful in battle although we are subdued by the evil scourge of jove thy soul forsooth hopes i suppose to plunder the ships but we also have hands ready to repulse thee immediately assuredly long before shall thy well-inhabited city be taken and destroyed by our hands but to thee thyself i say the time draws near when flying thou shalt pray to father jove and the other immortals that thy fair-maned steeds which shall bear thee to the city raising dust over the plain may become swifter than hawks whilst he was thus speaking a bird flew over him on the right a lofty flying eagle upon which the people of the greeks shouted encouraged by the omen but illustrious hector replied o babbling and vain-boasting ajax what hast thou said 
would that i were as sure of becoming forever the child of aegis bearing jove that the venerable juno had borne me and that i were honoured as minerva and apollo are honoured as that this day now certainly brings destruction upon all the greeks and among others thou shalt be slain if thou wilt dare to abide my long spear which shall tear for thee thy dainty person and thou shalt satiate the dogs and birds of the trojans with thy fat and flesh falling at the ships of the greeks thus then having spoken he led on and they followed along with him with a mighty shout and the troops likewise shouted in the rear the greeks on the other side raised a shout nor were they forgetful of their valour but they awaited the bravest of the trojans assaulting but the clamour of both reached to the ether and the shining splendour of jove end of book the thirteenth read by stephen carney Section 14, Book the 14th of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer, translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 14, Book the 14th. Argument. Agamemnon and the other wounded chiefs visit the battle with Nestor. Juno, having borrowed the cestus of Venus, first obtains the assistance of sleep, and then hastens to Ida, to inveigle Jove. She prevails, Jove sleeps, and Neptune seizes the opportunity to aid the Trojans. But the shouting did not entirely escape the notice of Nestor, although drinking, but he addressed winged words to the son of Aesculapius. Consider, noble Machaon, how well these things will be. Greater certainly grows the shouting of the blooming youths at the ships, but sitting here at present, drink indeed the dark wine, until fair-haired Hecamede has warmed the tepid baths, and washed away the bloody gore, whilst I, going with speed to a watch-tower, will gain information. So saying, he took the well-made shield of his own son, horse-breaking Thrasymedes, which was lying in the tent, all shining with brass, for he had the shield of his sire, and seized a strong spear, pointed with sharp brass, and stood without the tent, and soon beheld an unseemly deed these the greeks in confusion and those the haughty trojans routing them in the rear but the wall of the greeks had fallen and as when the vast deep blackens with a noiseless wave foreboding with no effect the rapid courses of the shrill blasts nor yet is it rolled forwards or backwards before some decisive blast comes down from jove so meditated the old man distracted in his mind between two opinions whether he should go amongst a throng of fleet-horsed greeks or to Agamemnon, the son of Atreus, shepherd of the people. But to him thus reflecting, it appeared better to go in quest of the son of Atreus. Meanwhile they kept slaughtering each other, contending, and the solid brass around their bodies rang, as they were stricken with the swords and two-edged spears. But the Jove-cherished kings, coming up from the vessels, met Nestor, as many as had been wounded with the brass, Tydides, and Ulysses, and Agamemnon, the son of Atreus, their ships indeed were drawn up upon the shore of the hoary deep very far away from the battle for they had drawn the first as far as the plain and had built a wall at their sterns for broad as it was the shore was by no means able to contain their vessels and the people were crowded wherefore they drew them up in rows one behind the other and filled the wide mouth of the whole shore as much as a promontories enclosed there then were they walking together leaning upon the spear in order to behold the tumult and the battle and the heart in their bosoms was grieved but aged nestor met them and terrified the souls in the breasts of the greeks whom first king agamemnon addressing said o nelaean nestor 
great glory of the Greeks. Why, leaving the man-destroying battle, comest thou hither? Truly I fear lest impetuous Hector make good his speech, as once he threatened, haranguing among the Trojans, that he would not return to Ilium from the ships, before that he had burned the ships with fire, and slain us also. Thus indeed he harangued, and now are all things fulfilling. Ye gods, surely the other well-grieved Greeks, as well as Achilles, store up wrath against me in their minds, nor are they willing to fight at the sterns of the ships. But him the Gerenian knight Nestor then answered, Assuredly these things are in active accomplishment, nor could even lofty thundering Jove himself contrive them otherwise. For the wall in which we trusted that it would be an impregnable defence to the ships and to ourselves has now fallen, but they are sustaining an obstinate contest at the swift ships. Nor couldst thou any longer distinguish, though examining particularly, on which side the Greeks confounded or routed. So promiscuously are they slain, whilst the shout reaches heaven. Let us, however, deliberate how these things will be, if counsel avail anything. Although I advise not that we enter the battle, for it is by no means proper that a wounded man should fight. But him then answered Agamemnon, king of men, Nestor, since they are combating at the sterns of the ships, and the constructed rampart avails not, nor the ditch, at which the Greeks suffered much, and hoped in their minds that it would be an impregnable defence to the ships and to themselves, surely it will be agreeable to all-powerful Jove that the Greeks perish there, inglorious, far away from Argus. For I was conscious when he unwillingly gave assistance to the Greeks, and I know now that he honours those, the Trojans, equally with the happy gods, but hath fettered our courage and our hands. But come, let us all obey, as I shall advise. Let us draw down the ships, as many as are drawn up first near the sea, and launch them all into the vast ocean. Let us moor them at the anchor in the deep, till mortal deceiving night arrive, if even then the Trojans may abstain from battle, and then we may perhaps draw down all the vessels. For there is no disgrace in flying from evil, not even during the night. It is better for a flying man to escape from evil than to be taken." But him sternly regarding, wise Ulysses then addressed, Son of Atreus, what speech hath escaped thy lips, lost man? Thou shouldst command some worthless army, and not rule over us, to whom Jove hath granted, from youth even unto old age, to accomplish toilsome wars, until we each of us shall perish. Dost thou then desire thus to leave wide-wayed Troy, on account of which we have endured so many woes? Be silent, lest some other of the Greeks hear a speech which a man ought not to have brought through his mouth, whosoever understands in his mind how to speak prudent things, who is a scepter-bearer, and whom so many people obey, as many as thou dost govern among the Greeks. For now do I reprobate thy judgment in what thou hast said, who commandest us, whilst the war and battle are waged, to draw down the well-benched ships to the sea, in order that the wishes of the Trojans may be still better fulfilled, victorious though they be, and dire destruction fall upon us. For the Greeks will not maintain the fight whilst the ships are being dragged to the sea, but will look back and retire from the combat. Then will thy counsel be injurious, O leader of the people." But him Agamemnon, the king of men, then answered, Much, O Ulysses, hast thou touched me to the soul with thy severe reproof. Yet I commanded not the sons of the Greeks against their will to draw the well-benched ships down to the sea. But now would that there were one, either young or old, who would deliver an opinion better than this. It would be to my joy. But among them Diomede, valiant in the din of battle, also spoke, The man is near, we need not seek far. If indeed ye are willing to be persuaded, and do not find fault each through wrath. 
because I am by birth the youngest among you, for I boast that my race is from a noble sire, Tydeus, whom the heaped-up earth covers at Thebes. For to Portheus were born three distinguished sons, and they dwelt in Pleuron and lofty Caledon, Agrius and Melus. But the third was the knight Oeneus, the father of my father, who was conspicuous among them for valour. He indeed remained there, but my father, as an exile, dwelt at Argus, for so Jove willed, and the other gods. But he married one of the daughters of Adrastus, and he and and he inhabited a mansion opulent in resources, and corn-bearing fields were his in abundance, and there were many rows of plants around him, numerous were his herds, and he surpassed the Greeks in the use of the spear. But these things he ought to know, since it is a truth. Do not therefore dispute the opinion freely delivered, which I give advisedly, deeming that I am base by birth and unwarlike. Come then, let us go to battle, wounded as we are, from necessity, there then let us ourselves approach the combat out of the reach of weapons lest any one receive wound upon wound and encouraging others we will urge them on who hitherto gratifying their souls have stood apart nor fought thus he spoke and to him they all listened readily and obeyed wherefore they hastened to advance and the king of men agamemnon led them nor did the illustrious earth-shaker keep a negligent lookout but he went amongst them like unto an aged man and he caught the right hand of agamemnon the son of atreus and addressing him spoke winged words son of atreus now perchance the revengeful heart of achilles rejoices in his breast beholding the slaughter and rout of the greeks since there is no feeling in him not even a little may he however thus perish and may a god cover him with disgrace but with thee the blessed gods are not yet altogether enraged but again the leaders and chiefs of the trojans will perchance raise the dust upon the wide plain and thou wilt behold them flying towards the city from the ships and the tents so saying he shouted aloud rushing over the plain as loud as nine or ten thousand men shout beginning the contest of mars so loud a cry did king neptune send forth from his breast and he cast great resolution into every heart among the greeks to war and to fight incessantly but golden-throned juno standing looked down with her eyes from the summit of olympus and immediately recognized her own brother who was also her brother-in-law exerting himself through the glorious battle and she rejoiced in her mind she also beheld jove sitting upon the highest top of many-rilled ida and he was hateful to her soul then the venerable large-eyed juno next anxiously considered how she could beguile the mind of age-sparing jove and now this plan appeared best to her mind to proceed to ida having well arrayed herself if perchance he might desirous to lie beside her form in dalliance so that she might pour upon his eyelids and vigilant mind careless and genial sleep and she proceeded to her chamber which vulcan her dear son had made for her and had fitted the thick doors to the lintels with a secret bolt and this no other god could remove there entering in she closed the shining doors first she washed all impurities from her lovely person and anointed herself with rich oil ambrosial and agreeable which was odoriferous to her and the perfume of which when shaken in the brazen-floored mansion of jove reached even to earth and to heaven with this having anointed her body and having also combed her hair with her hands she arranged her shining locks beautiful ambrosial which flowed from her immortal head next she threw around her an ambrosial robe which minerva had wrought for her in needlework and had embroidered much varied work upon it and she fastened it upon her breast with golden clasps then she girded herself with a zone adorned with a hundred fringes and in her well perforated ears placed her triple gemmed elaborate earrings and much grace shone from her 
from above she divine of goddesses covered herself with a veil beautiful newly wrought and it was bright as the sun and beneath her shining feet she fastened her beautiful sandals but when she had arranged all her ornaments around her person she proceeded straight from her chamber and having called venus apart from the other gods addressed her in speech wilt thou now be at all obedience to me dear child in what i shall say or wilt thou refuse enraged in thy mind on this account because i aid the greeks whilst thou aidest the trojans but her venus the daughter of jove then answered juno venerable goddess daughter of mighty saturn declare whatsoever thou dost meditate for my mind urges me to accomplish it if indeed i can accomplish it and if it be practicable but her the venerable juno meditating guile addressed give now to me that loveliness and desire with which thou dost subdue all immortals and mortal men for i go to visit the limits of the fertile earth and oceanus the parent of the gods and mother tethys who receiving me from rhea nurtured and educated me with care in their abodes when far resounding jove cast down saturn beneath the earth and the fruitless sea these i go to visit and i will put an end to eternal quarrels for already have they abstained for a length of time from the couch and embrace of each other since anger fell upon their mind but if by persuading their hearts by my words i should lead them back to the bed to be united in love then should i always be called by them beloved and revered but her laughter-loving venus in turn addressed it is not possible nor becoming to refuse thy request for thou reclinest in the arms of mightiest jove take this now place in thy bosom this variegated belt in which all things are contained and i think that thou wilt not return with thy object unaccomplished whatsoever thou desirest in thy mind thus she spake and the large-eyed venerable juno smiled and smiling then placed it in her bosom but venus the daughter of jove departed to the palace and juno hastening quitted the summit of olympus and having passed over pieria and fertile emethia she hastened over the snowy mountains of the equestrian thrace most lofty summits nor did she touch the ground with her feet from athos she descended to the foaming deep and came to lemnus the city of divine thoas where she met sleep the brother of death to whose hand she then clung and spoke and addressed him o sleep king of all gods and all men if ever indeed thou didst listen to my entreaty now too be persuaded and i will acknowledge gratitude to thee all my days close immediately in sleep for me the bright eyes of jove under his eyelids after i couch with him in love and i will give thee as gifts a handsome golden throne forever incorruptible and my limping son vulcan adorning it shall make it and below thy feet he shall place a footstool upon which thou mayest rest thy shining feet while feasting but her sweet sleep answering addressed juno venerable goddess daughter of great saturn any other of the everlasting gods could i easily lull to sleep and even the flowing of rapid ocean who is the parent of all but i could not approach saturnian jove nor lull him to sleep unless at least he himself command me for once already at least has he terrified me by his threats on that day when the magnanimous son of jove hercules sailed from ilium having sacked the city of the trojans then i lulled the mind of aegis-bearing jove being poured gently around him whilst thou wast planning evils in thy mind against the hero rousing the blasts of bitter winds over the deep and thou didst afterwards carry him away apart from all his friends to well-inhabited coasts but he when awakened was enraged hurling about the gods through his mansion and me chiefly of all he sought and would have cast me down a lost one from the ether into the deep had not night vanquisher of gods and men preserved me to whom i came flying so he restrained himself angry as he was 
for he dreaded lest he should do things which were disagreeable to swift night and now again dost thou urge me to perform this another dangerous deed but him the venerable large-eyed juno in turn answered o sleep why thinkest thou these things within thy mind canst thou suppose that far-sounding jove favours the trojans as he was enraged on account of hercules his own son but come do this and i will give thee one of the younger graces to wed and to be called thy spouse pisithia whom thou fondly desirest day after day thus she spoke but sleep was delighted and answering addressed her come now swear to me by the inviolable water of the styx and touch with one hand the fertile earth and with the other the marble sea so that all the gods beneath around saturn may be witnesses between us that thou wilt surely give me one of the younger graces pasithia whom i will desire all my days thus he spoke nor did the white-armed goddess juno disobey but she swore as he desired and named all gods who dwell under tartarus which are called titans when then she had sworn and performed her oath they both proceeded leaving the city of lemnus and imbrus mantled in haze quickly making their way and they came to ida of many rills the mother of wild beasts to lectus where first they quitted the sea but they both advanced over the land and the summit of the wood was shaken beneath their feet their sleep on his part remained before the eyes of jove should perceive him ascending a lofty fir which then growing the highest upon ida sprung up through the air to the clouds there he sat thickly covered with the fir branches like unto a shrill bird which living in the mountains the gods call chalcis and men simindis but juno proceeded hastily to gargarus the summit of lofty ida and cloud-compelling jove beheld her but the instant he beheld her that instant desire entirely shadowed around his august mind just as when they first were united in love retiring to the bed without the knowledge of their dear parents and he stood before her and spoke and addressed her wherefore hastening from olympus juno comest thou hither but thy horses and chariot are not near which thou mayest ascend but him the venerable juno meditating guiles addressed i go to visit the limits of the fertile earth and oceanus the parent of the gods and mother tethys who nurtured and trained me with care in their palaces them i go to see and will take away their bitter quarrels for already they abstain a long while from the couch and embrace of each other since anger has invaded their minds but my steeds which will bear me over dry and wet stand near the base of ida with many rills now however on thy account have i come hither from olympus lest perchance thou shouldst afterwards be angry with me were i to depart in secret to the abode of deep-flowing oceanus but her cloud-collecting jove answering addressed juno thither thou canst go even by and by but come now let us reclining be delighted with love for never at any time did the love of a goddess or a woman poured around the heart within thy breast so subdue me neither when i loved the wife of ixion who bore pirithus a counsellor equal to the gods nor when i loved fair-ankled denia the daughter of acrisius who bore perseus the most illustrious of all men nor when with that of the celebrated daughter of phoenix who bore me to minos and godlike rhadamanthus nor yet when i loved semele nor alcamena in thebes who brought forth my valiant son hercules but semele bore me bacchus a joy to mortals nor when i loved cirrus the fair-haired queen nor when glorious latona nor thyself as i now love thee and sweet desire seizes me but him venerable juno meditating guiles addressed 
most shameless son of saturn what word hast thou spoken if now thou desire to recline in love upon the summit of ida where all places are exposed how will it be if any of the immortal gods should perceive us sleeping and going amongst all the gods disclose it i for my part could never return to thy mansion arising from the couch for surely it would be unbecoming but if in truth thou desirest it and it be agreeable to thy soul there is a chamber of thine which vulcan thy beloved son formed for thee and fitted its secure doors to its lintels thither let us repair about to recline since an embrace is indeed thy desire but her cloud-collecting jove answering addressed fear not o juno that any of either gods or men shall behold this such a golden cloud will i spread around that not even the sun may see us through it although his eye is very keen to behold thus he spake and the son of saturn encircled his wife in his arms and the divine earth produced fresh herbage under them the dewy lotus and the crocus and the hyacinth close and soft which elevated them from the earth upon this couch they reclined and clothed themselves above with a beautiful cloud and lucid dewdrops fell from it thus quietly slumbered the sire upon the summit of gargarus subdued by sleep and love and held his spouse in his arms but sweet sleep hastened to run to the ships of the greeks that he might deliver a message to neptune the shaker of the earth and standing near he addressed to him winged words now neptune heartily give aid to the greeks and bestow glory upon them at least for a little while whilst yet jove sleeps since i have enveloped him in a veil of soft slumber and juno hath deceived him that he might sleep in love so saying he indeed departed to the illustrious tribes of men but he still more impelled neptune to assist the greeks and immediately springing forward far into the van he exhorted them o greeks yet again do we yield the victory to hector the son of priam that he may seize the ships and bear away glory for so indeed he supposes and boasts because achilles remains at the hollow ships enraged at heart however there would not be a great need of him if the rest of us were incited to assist one another but come let us all obey as i shall advise let us clad with shields as many as are best and greatest in the army who are covered as to our heads with glittering helmets and hold the longest spears in our hands advance and i will lead the way nor do i think that hector the son of priam will await us though very eager whatsoever man also is obstinate in the fight and bears but a small shield upon his shoulder let him give it to an inferior man and let him clothe himself in a larger shield thus he spoke but they listened to him readily and obeyed the kings themselves tydides ulysses and agamemnon son of atreus marshalled the troops wounded as they were and going about them all exchanged their martial arms the brave soldier put on the good armor and the worst they gave to the inferior man but when they had girded the splendid brass around their bodies they began to advance and earth-shaking neptune led them on grasping in his firm hand a dreadful tapering sword like unto a thunderbolt with which sword it is not possible to engage in destructive battle for the fear of it restrains men on the other side again illustrious hector drew up the trojans then truly azure-haired neptune and illustrious hector drew forth the severest struggle of war the one indeed aiding the trojans and the other the greeks but the sea was dashed up to the tents and ships of the greeks and they engaged with a mighty shout not so loudly does the billow of the ocean roar against the main land when driven from the deep by the rough blast of boreas nor so great is the crackling of blazing fire in the glens of a mountain when it is raised aloft to consume the wood nor so loud howls the wind amidst the high-foliaged oaks which in particular loudly roars in its wrath 
as was the cry of the Trojans and Greeks shouting dreadfully when they rushed one upon the other. At Ajax, illustrious Hector first took aim with his spear, as he was turned right against him, nor did he miss. He struck him where the two belts were crossed upon his breast, both that of the shield and that of the silver-studded sword, for these protected the tender skin. But Hector was enraged because his swift weapon had fled from his hand in vain, and he retired back into the crowd of his companions, shunning death. At him then retiring, mighty Telamonian Ajax threw with a stone, for stones in great numbers were rolled about among the feet of the combatants, props for the fleet barks. Lifting up one of these, he struck him on the breast, above the orb of the shield, near the neck, and throwing, he twirled it like a top, and the stone rolled round on all sides, as when, beneath a violent stroke from Father Jove, an oak falls uprooted, and a terrible smell of sulphur arises from it, but confidence no longer possesses the man, whosoever being near beholds it, because the thunderbolt of mighty Jove is terrible, so rapidly upon the ground fell the might of Hector in the dust, and he dropped his spear from his hand, his shield and helmet followed above him, and his armor, variegated with brass, rang upon him. Then the sons of the Greeks, loudly shouting, rushed in, hoping to draw him off, and they hurled numerous javelins, but no one was able either to strike from a distance, or to smite close at hand the shepherd of the people, for the bravest of the warriors, Polydamus, Aeneas, and noble Agenor, Sarpedon, leader of Lycians, and illustrious Glaucus, first threw themselves round him, and no one of the rest neglected him, but they held their well-orbed shields before him. But his companions, upraising him in their hands, bore him out of the conflict, till they reached his fleet horses, which stood for him in rear of the combat and the war, holding both the charioteer and the variegated car, which then carried him towards the city, groaning heavily. But when now they came to the ford of the rapid-flowing current of eddying Xanthus, whom immortal Jove begat, where they removed him from his car to the ground, and poured water over him, but he breathed again, and looked up with his eyes, and sitting upon his knees disgorged black blood. Again he fell back upon the ground, and dark night overshadowed his eyes, for the blow still subdued his spirits. But when the Greeks saw Hector going apart, they pressed the more on the Trojans, and were mindful of contest. Then swift Oilean Ajax before others, leaping forward with his fir-tree spear, wounded Satnius, son of Enops, whom a naiad, the fairest nymph, bore to Enops, when keeping his flocks by the bank of Satnio. Him the spear-renowned son of Oileus, drawing near, wounded in the flank. But he fell supine, and round him the Trojans and Greeks engaged in a valiant battle. But to him spear-brandishing Polydamus, son of Panthus, came as an avenger, and smote Prothoenor, son of Arilochus, upon the right shoulder. The tough spear passed on through his shoulder, but falling in the dust, he grasped the earth with his hand. And Polydamus boasted mightily over him, shouting aloud, I do not think, indeed, that the weapon hath fled vainly from the sturdy hand of the magnanimous son of Panthus, but some one of the Greeks has received it in his body, and I think that he, leaning upon it, will descend to the mansion of Pluto. Thus he spoke, but grief arose among the Greeks at his boasting, and particularly agitated the mind of warlike Ajax, the son of Telamon, for he had fallen very near him, and he immediately hurled with his shining spear at him departing. Polydamus himself indeed avoided black fate, springing off obliquely, but Archilochus, son of Antenor, received the blow, for to him the gods had doomed destruction. Him then he struck upon the last vertebra, in the joining of the head and neck, and he disjoined both tendons, but the head, the mouth, and the nostrils of him falling, met the ground much sooner than his legs and knees. 
Then Ajax in turn cried out to blameless Polydamas, Reflect, O Polydamas, and tell me the truth. Is not this man worthy to be slain in exchange of Prothoenor? He appears not to me indeed a coward, nor sprung from cowards, but to be the brother or the son of horse-breaking Antenor, for he seems most like him as to his race. Thus he spoke, well knowing him, but grief possessed the minds of the Trojans. Then Acamas, stalking round his brother, wounded with his spear Promachus, the Boetian, whilst he was dragging him off by the feet. But over him Acamas greatly boasted, calling aloud, Ye Argive archers, insatiable in threats, assuredly not to us alone will toil and sorrow accrue, but thus thou wilt at some time be slain. Consider how your Promachus sleeps, subdued by my spear, that a requital for my brother might not be long unpaid. Therefore should a man wish a brother to be left in his family, as an avenger of his death. Thus he spoke, but grief arose among the Greeks as he boasted, and he particularly agitated the mind of warlike Peneleus. Accordingly he rushed upon Acamas, who awaited not the charge of King Peneleus, but he wounded Ilioneus, son of Phorbus, rich in flocks, whom Mercury loved most of all the Trojans, and had presented with possessions, and to whom his mother bore Ilioneus alone. Him then he wounded below the brow, in the socket of the eye, and he forced out the pupil. But the spear went forward through the eye and through the back of the head, and he sat down, stretching out both his hands. But Peneleus, drawing his sharp sword, smote him upon the middle of the neck, and lopped off his head with his helmet to the ground, and the strong spear still remained in his eye. But Peneleus, holding it up like a poppy, shouted to the Trojans, and boasting spoke thus, Tell for me, ye Trojans, the beloved father and mother of illustrious Ilioneus, that they may lament him in their halls. For neither shall the wife of Promachus, the son of Eleginor, present herself with joy to her dear husband coming back, when we, sons of the Greeks, return from Troy with our ships. Thus he spoke, but pale fear seized upon them all, and each gazed about, seeking where he might escape utter destruction. Tell me now, ye muses, possessing Olympian dwellings, which of the Greeks now first bore away gore-stained spoils of men, when the illustrious earth-shaker turned the tide of battle? Telamonian Ajax then first wounded Hertius, son of Gertius, leader of the undaunted Mycenaeans, and Antilochus spoiled Phalces and Murmurus, Meriones slew Morus and Hippotion, and Teucer slew Prothus and Periphoetius, but the son of Atreus next wounded upon the flank, Hyperenor, the shepherd of the people, and the spear cutting its way drank his entrails, and his soul expelled, fled in haste through the inflicted wound, and darkness veiled his eyes. But Ajax, the swift son of Oileus, slew the most, because there was not one equal to him on foot to follow the flying men when Jove had excited flight amongst them. End of Book the Fourteenth Read by Stephen Carney Section 15, Book the 15th of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer. Translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 15, Book the 15th. Argument. Jove awaking and finding the Trojans routed, menaces Juno. He then sends Iris to desire Neptune to relinquish the battle, and Apollo to restore Hector to health. Armed with the ages, Apollo puts the Greeks to flight, who are pursued home to their fleet. 
while Telamonian Ajax slays twelve Trojans who were bringing fire to burn it. But after the fugitives had crossed both the ramparts and the trench, and many were subdued by the hands of the Greeks, the rest were at length detained, waiting beside their chariots, pallid with fear, and terrified. But Jove arose on the summits of Ida, from beside golden-throned Judo, and starting up he stood and beheld the Trojans and Greeks, those indeed in confusion, and the Greeks throwing them into confusion in the rear, and amongst them King Neptune. Hector he beheld lying upon the plain, and his companions sat round him, but he was afflicted with grievous difficulty of respiration, and devoid of his senses vomiting blood, for it was not the weakest of the Greeks who had wounded him. The father of men and gods, seeing, pitied him, and sternly regarding Juno, severely addressed her, O Juno, of evil arch, impracticable, thy stratagem has made noble Hector cease from battle, and put his troops to flight. Indeed I know not whether again thou mayest not be the first to reap the fruits of thy pernicious machinations, and I may chastise thee with stripes. Dost thou not remember when thou didst swing from on high, and I hung two anvils from thy feet, and bound a golden chain around thy hands that could not be broken? and thou didst hang in the air and clouds, and the gods commiserated thee throughout lofty Olympus. But standing around, they were not able to release thee. But whomsoever I caught, seizing, I hurled from the threshold of heaven, till he reached the earth hardly breathing. Nor even thus did my vehement anger, through grief for divine Hercules, leave me, whom thou prevailing upon the storms with the north wind didst send over the unfruitful sea designing evils and afterwards bore him out of his course to well-inhabited coasts i liberated him indeed and brought him back thence to steed nourishing argus although having accomplished many toils these things will i again recall to thy memory that thou mayest cease from deceits in order that thou mayest know whether the intercourse and a couch will avail thee in which thou was mingled coming apart from the gods and having deceived me thus he spoke but venerable large-eyed juno shuddered and addressing him spoke winged words be witness now earth and boundless heaven above and the water of sticks gliding beneath which is the greatest and most dreaded oath amongst the blessed gods likewise thy sacred head and our own nuptial couch by which i would not rashly swear at any time that it is not by my instigation that earth-shaking neptune harasses the trojans and hector and aids the other side but certainly his own mind incites and orders him for beholding the greeks oppressed at the ships he took compassion on them and even him would i advise to go there where thou o cloud collector mayest command thus she spoke but the father of men and gods smiled and answering her spoke winged words if indeed thou from henceforth o venerable large-eyed juno wouldst sit amongst the mortals being of the same mind with me then truly would neptune even although he very much wishes otherwise immediately change his mind to the same point to thy wish and mine but if indeed thou speakest in sincerity and truly go now to the assemblies of the gods and call iris to come hither and apollo renowned in archery that she may go to the people of the brazen-mailed greeks and tell king neptune ceasing from battle to repair to his own palaces but let phoebus apollo excite hector to battle and breathe strength into him again and make him forgetful of the pains which now afflict him in his mind but let him again put the greeks to flight exciting unwarlike panic amongst them and flying let them fall back upon the many benched ships of achilles the son of peleus 
then shall he stimulate his companion patroclus whom illustrious hector shall slay with his spear before ilium patroclus having slain many other youths and with them my son noble sarpedon but noble achilles shall slay hector from this time forward will i always continually effect for thee that there shall be a retreat of the trojans from the ships until the greeks by the counsel of minerva shall take lofty ilium however i shall not abate my anger nor will i here permit any of the immortals to assist the greeks before that the request of the son of peleus be completed as first i promised to him and nodded assent with my head on that day when the goddess thetis touched my knees beseeching me that i would honour achilles the destroyer of cities thus he spoke nor did the white-armed goddess juno disobey but went down from the Idaean mountains to lofty olympus and as when the mind of a man flashes swiftly in thought who having traversed over many a land thinks within his prudent heart i was here i was there and deliberates much thus quickly hastening up sprung venerable juno but she reached lofty olympus and came in upon the immortal gods assembled in the house of jove but they beholding her all rose up and welcomed her with their cups the rest however she neglected but received a goblet from fair-cheeked themis for she first running came to meet her and addressing her spoke winged words why o juno hast thou come hither and art like unto one in consternation has then the son of saturn who is thy husband greatly terrified thee but her the white-armed goddess juno then answered do not o goddess themis ask me these things even thou thyself knowest how overbearing and cruel a spirit is his but do thou preside over the equal feast in the palaces of the gods and thou shalt hear these things along with all the immortals what evil deeds jove denounces nor do i at all think that the mind will equally rejoice to all neither to mortals nor to the gods although some one even yet be feasting pleasantly thus having spoken venerable juno sat down but the gods were grieved throughout the palace of jove but she laughed with her lips only nor was her forehead above her dark brows exhilarated and indignant she spoke amongst them all senseless we who are thus foolishly enraged with father jove of a truth we still desire to restrain him approaching near either by persuasion or by force whilst he sitting apart does not regard nor is moved for he says he is decidedly the most mighty in strength and power among the immortal gods wherefore endure whatever evil he may please to send upon each of you for now already i think misfortune has been inflicted upon mars since his son has perished in the fight the dearest of mortals ascalphalus whom impetuous mars calls his own thus she spake but mars smote his brawny thighs with his dropped hands and sorrowing addressed them do not now blame me ye who possess the olympic mansions repairing to the ships of the greeks to avenge the slaughter of my son even although it should be my fate smitten with the thunderbolt of jove to lie together with the dead bodies in blood and dust thus he spake and he commanded fear and flight to yoke his steeds but he himself girded on his shining armour then indeed some other greater and more grievous wrath and indignation had fallen upon the immortals from jove had not minerva greatly fearing for all the gods leaped forth from the vestibule and left the throne where she sat from his head she snatched the helmet and the shield from his shoulders and taking the brazen spear out of his strong hand she placed it upright and rebuked impetuous mars with these words infuriated one infatuated in mind thou art undone are thy ears indeed useless for hearing and have thy sense and shame perished dost thou not hear what the white-armed goddess juno says and she has just now come from olympian jove 
dost thou thyself wish having fulfilled many misfortunes to return to olympus very much grieved and by compulsion and also to create a great evil to all the rest for he will immediately leave the trojans and magnanimous greeks and will come against us about to disturb us in olympus and will seize us one after the other whoever is culpable and who is not wherefore i exhort thee now to lay aside thy wrath on account of thy son for already some one even superior to him in strength and in hands either is slain or will be hereafter for it would be a difficult task to liberate from death the race and offspring of all men so saying she seated impetuous mars upon his throne but juno called apollo outside the house and iris who is the messenger among the immortal gods and addressing them spoke winged words jove orders you twain to repair with all haste to ida but when ye arrive and look upon the countenance of jove do whatsoever he may urge and command then indeed having thus spoken venerable juno retired and sat down upon her throne but they hastening flew and arrived at ida of many rills the mother of wild beasts they found the far-seeing son of saturn sitting upon lofty gargarus and an odiferous cloud encircled him around but coming before cloud-compelling jove they stood nor was he enraged in his mind beholding them because they quickly obeyed the commands of his dear wife and first to iris he addressed winged words haste be gone fleet iris tell all these things to king neptune nor be thou a false messenger order him having ceased from the battle and the war to repair to the assemblies of the gods or to the vast sea if however he will not obey my words but shall despise them let him then consider in his mind and soul lest how powerful he may be he may not be able to withstand me coming against him for i say that i am superior to him in strength and elder in birth but his heart fears riot to assert himself equal to me whom even the others dread thus he spoke nor was wind-footed swift iris disobedient but she ascended from the Idaean mountains to sacred ilium and as when snow drifts from the clouds or cold hail by the impulse of cloud-dispelling boreas so quickly swift iris with eagerness flew along and standing near illustrious neptune she addressed him o oh, azure-haired earth-shaker i have come hither bringing a certain message to thee from aegis-bearing jove he has commanded thee having ceased from the battle and the war to repair either to the assemblies of the gods or to the vast sea but if thou wilt not obey his words but shalt despise them he threatens that he will come hither himself to fight against thee and advises thee to avoid his hands because he asserts that he is greatly superior to thee in strength and elder in birth but thy heart does not fear to profess that thou art equal to him whom even the others dread but her illustrious neptune greatly indignant then addressed gods powerful though he be he surely has spoken proudly if he will by force restrain me unwilling who am of equal honour for we are three brothers descended from saturn whom rhea brought forth jupiter and i and pluto governing the infernal regions the third all things were divided into three parts and each was allotted his dignity i in the first place the lots being shaken was allotted to inhabit forever the hoary sea and pluto next obtained the pitchy darkness but jove in the third place had allotted to him the wide heaven in the air and in the clouds nevertheless the earth is still common property of all and lofty olympus wherefore i shall not live according to the will of jove but although being very powerful let him remain quiet in his third part and let him by no means terrify me as a coward with his hands for it would be better for him to insult with terrific language the daughters and sons whom he hath begotten who will also through necessity attend to him exhorting them 
But him the fleet, wind-footed Iris then answered, O azure-haired earth-shaker, shall I really thus bear back from thee to Jove this relentless and violent reply, or wilt thou change it at all? The minds of the prudent indeed are flexible. Thou knowest that the furies are ever attendant on the elders. But her again, earth-shaking Neptune in turn addressed, Goddess Iris, very rightly hast thou delivered this opinion. Moreover, it is good when a messenger knows fitting things. But on this account, severe indignation comes upon my heart and soul, because he wishes to chide with angry words, me, equal to him by lot, and doomed to an equal destiny. Nevertheless, at present, although being indignant, I will give way. But another thing will I tell thee, and I will threaten this from my soul, if indeed without me and prey-hunting Minerva, Juno, Mercury, and King Vulcan, he shall spare lofty Ilium, nor shall wish to destroy it, and give great glory to the Greeks, let him know this, that endless animosity shall arise between us. So saying, the earth-shaker quitted the Grecian army, and proceeding, he plunged into the deep. But the Grecian heroes longed for him, and then cloud-compelling Jove addressed Apollo, Go now, dear Phoebus, to brazen-helmed Hector, for already hath earth encircling Neptune departed to the vast sea, avoiding our dreadful anger. For otherwise the rest who are infernal gods, being around Saturn, would surely have heard our quarrel. This, however, is much better for me as well as for him, that he hath first yielded to my hands, accounting himself worthy of blame, because a matter would not have been accomplished without sweat. But do thou take the fringed aegis in thy hands, with which, by violently shaking it, do thou greatly terrify the Grecian heroes. To thyself, however, O far-darting Apollo, let illustrious Hector be a care. So long then arouse his great might unto him, until the Greeks in flight reach the ships and the Hellespont. Thenceforth I shall myself deliberate in deed and word how the Greeks also may revive from labor. Thus he spoke, nor did Apollo disobey his sire, but he descended from the Idaean mountains like unto a swift hawk, the dove-destroyer, the swiftest of birds. He found the son of warlike Priam, noble Hector, sitting, for he no longer lay on the ground, but had just collected his senses, recognizing his friends around him. But the panting and perspiration had ceased, since the will of Aegis-bearing Jove had aroused him. Then far-darting Apollo, standing near, addressed him. Hector, son of Priam, why sittest thou apart from the rest, failing in strength? Has any grief invaded thee? But him then crest-tossing Hector languidly addressed, And who art thou, best of the gods, who inquirest face to face? Hast thou not heard that Ajax, brave in the din of battle, smote me with a stone upon the breast, and caused me to cease from impetuous valour, when slaying his companions at the sterns of the Grecian ships? And truly I thought that I should this day behold the dead, and the mansion of Pluto, since I was on the point of breathing out my dear life. But him far-darting King Apollo addressed in turn, Be of good courage now. So great an assistant has the son of Saturn sent forth from Ida to stand up and help thee, Phoebus Apollo, of the Golden Sword, who am accustomed to defend at the same time thyself and the lofty city. But come, encourage now thy numerous cavalry to drive their fleet steeds towards the hollow ships. But I, going before, will level the whole way for the horses, and I will turn to flight the Grecian heroes." Thus speaking, he inspired great strength into the shepherd of the people, as when some stalled horse, fed on barley at the manger, having snapped his halter, runs over the plain, striking the earth with his feet, accustomed to bathe in the smooth flowing river, exulting, he holds his head on high, and around his shoulders his mane is dishevelled, and trusting to his beauty, his knees easily bear him to the accustomed places and pasture of the mares, 
so hector swiftly moved his feet and knees encouraging the horsemen after he had heard the voice of the god but they as dogs and rustic men rush against either a horned stag or wild goat whichsoever a lofty rock and shady forest protect nor is it destined for them to catch it but at their clamour a bushy bearded lion appears in the way and turns them all back although ardently pursuing thus the greeks hitherto indeed ever kept following in troops striking with their swords and double-edged spears but when they beheld hector entering the ranks of heroes they were troubled and the courage of all fell at their feet then thoas the son of andraemon addressed them by far the bravest of the aetolians skilled in the use of the javelin and brave in the standing fight few also of the greeks excelled him in the council when the youths contended in eloquence who wisely counselling harangued them and said o gods surely i behold with mine eyes this mighty miracle since hector has thus risen again having escaped death certainly the mind of each was in great hopes that he had died by the hands of telamonian ajax but some one of the gods has again liberated and preserved hector who hath already relaxed the knees of many greeks as i think is about to occur now also for not without far-sounding jove does he stand in the van thus earnest but come let us all obey as i shall desire let us order the multitude to retreat towards the ships but let us as many as boast ourselves to be the best in the army take a stand if indeed opposing we may at the outset interrupt him upraising our spears and i think that he although raging will dread in mind to enter the band of the greeks thus he spoke but all heard him attentively and obeyed those around the ajaces and king adominaeus teucer Meriones, and Megis, equal to mars calling the chiefs together marshalled their lines against hector and the trojans whilst the multitude in the rear retreated to the ships of the greeks but the trojans in close array pressed forward and hector taking long strides led the way but before him walked phoebus apollo clad as to his shoulders with a cloud and he held the mighty dreadful fringed dazzling aegis which the artist vulcan had given to jove to be borne along for the routing of men holding this in his hands he led on the people but the greeks remained in close array and a shrill shout arose on both sides many arrows bounded from the strings and many spears from gallant hands some were fixed in the bodies of warlike youths but many halfway before they had touched the fair body stuck in the earth longing to satiate themselves with flesh as long as phoebus apollo held the aegis unmoved in his hands so long did the weapons reach both sides and the people fell but when looking full in the faces of the swift-horsed greeks he shook it and he himself besides shouted very loudly then he checked the courage in their breasts and they became forgetful of impetuous valour but they as when two wild beasts in the depth of the dark night disturb a drove of oxen or a great flock of sheep coming suddenly upon them the keeper not being present so the enfeebled greeks were routed for amongst them apollo sent terror and gave glory to the trojans and to hector that indeed man slew man when the battle gave way hector slew stichius and archesilaus the one the leader of the brazen-mailed boetians but the other the faithful companion of the magnanimous menesius but aeneas slew madon and aesus madon indeed was the illegitimate son of godlike oelius and brother of ajax and he dwelt in phylace away from his fatherland having slain a man the brother of his stepmother Ariopus, whom oelius had betrothed aesus however was appointed leader of the athenians and was called the son of spelus the son of bucolus but polydamus slew masistus and polites echius in the van and noble agenor slew clonius 
Paris also wounded Deicoas in the extremity of the shoulder from behind, whilst he was flying amongst the foremost combatants, and drove the brass quite through. Whilst they were spoiling these of their armour, the Greeks in the meantime, falling into the dug trench and stakes, fled here and there, and from necessity entered within the rampart. But Hector, shouting aloud, exhorted the Trojans to rush upon the ships, and to let go the bloody spoils. And whatever person shall perceive apart from the ships anywhere, there will I cause his death, nor indeed shall his male and female relatives make him when dead partaker of a funeral pile, but dogs shall tear him before our city. So saying, with the lash upon the shoulder, he drove on his horses against the ranks, cheering on the Trojans, but they all shouting along with him, directed their car-drawing steeds with a mighty clamour, but phoebus apollo in front of them easily overthrowing the banks of the deep ditch with his feet cast them into the middle and bridged a causeway long and wide as far as a cast of a spear reaches when a man making trial of his strength hurls it in that way they poured onward by troops and apollo went before them holding the highly prized aegis but he overthrew the wall of the greeks very easily as when any boy does the sand from the shore who when amusing himself in childishness he has made playthings again destroys them with his feet and hands thus o archer phoebus didst thou destroy the great labour and toil of the greeks and didst excite flight amongst themselves in this manner indeed remaining they were penned up at the ships animating each other and raising up their hands to all the gods they each loudly offered vows but the guardian of the greeks gerenian nestor most particularly prayed stretching forth his hands to the starry heaven o father jove if ever any one in fruitful argus to thee burning the fat thighs of either oxen or sheep supplicated that he might return and thou didst promise and assent be mindful of these things o olympian and avert the cruel day nor thus permit the greeks to be subdued by the trojans thus he spoke praying but providence jove loudly thundered hearing the prayers of the nelian old man but the trojans when they understood the will of a despairing jove rushed the more against the greeks and were mindful of battle and as a mighty wave of the wide flowing ocean dashes over the sides of a ship when the force of the wind impels it for that most of all increases waves so the trojans with a mighty shout mounted over the wall and having driven in their horses they fought at the sterns hand to hand with two-edged spears the one party from the chariots but the other on high from their black ships having ascended them with long poles which lay in their vessels for fighting by sea well glued and clad on the tip with brass but patroclus as long indeed as the greeks and the trojans fought round the wall without the swift ships so long he sat in the tent of valour-loving eurypylus and delighted him with his disclosure and to the severe wound he applied medicines assuagers of dark pains but when he perceived that the trojans had burst within the walls and moreover that the clamour and flight of the greeks had risen then indeed he groaned and smote both his thighs with his downward bent hands and lamenting spoke o eurypylus i cannot any longer remain here with thee although needing much for now has a mighty contest arisen but let thy attendant entertain thee and i will hasten to achilles that i may encourage him to fight and who knows whether with god's assistance persuading i may move his soul for the admonition of a companion is effectual but him his feet then boring away thus speaking meanwhile the greeks firmly withstood the trojans rushing on nor were they able to repel them from the ships although being fewer nor could the trojans breaking through the phalanxes of the greeks be mingled with the tents or ships 
but as a plumb-line in the hands of a skilful shipwright who knows well the whole art by the precepts of minerva correctly adjusts the naval plank so was the battle and war equally extended some indeed supported the conflict round one ship and others round another but hector advanced against glorious ajax thus these two undertook the task round one ship nor were they able the one to drive the other away and burn the ship with fire nor the one to repulse him since a divinity had brought him near then illustrious ajax smote upon the breast with his spear calator son of clytius bearing fire against the ship and falling he resounded and the torch fell from his hand but when hector perceived with his eyes his cousin fallen in the dust before the black ship he cheered on the trojans and lycians loudly exclaiming ye trojans and lycians and close-fighting dardanians do not now retire from the fight in this narrow pass but preserve the son of clytius lest the greeks despoil him of his armour having fallen in the contest at the ships thus having spoken he took aim with his shining spear at ajax whom he missed but he smote lycophron the son of mastor the servant of ajax a cytherian who dwelt with him since he had killed a man amongst the celebrated cytherians he struck him on the head over the ear with a sharp brass whilst he was standing near ajax but he fell supine to the ground from the stern of the ship in the dust and his limbs were relaxed then ajax shuddered and accosted his brother dear teucer now is our faithful companion the son of master whom being domesticated in cythera we honoured equally with our beloved parents in our palaces but him magnanimous hector has slain where now are thy death-bearing arrows and bow which phoebus apollo gave thee thus he spoke but he understood and running he stood near him holding in his hand his bent bow and arrow-bearing quiver and very quickly he shot his arrows against the trojans he struck clytus the illustrious son of pisanor the companion of polydamus the renowned son of panthus holding the reins in his hands he indeed was employed in guiding the horses for he directed them there where the most numerous phalanxes were thrown in confusion gratifying hector and the trojans but soon came evil upon him which no one averted from him although eager for the bitter shaft fell upon his neck from behind and he fell from the chariot whilst his horses started back rattling the empty car but the king polydamus very quickly perceived it and first came to meet his horses them he entrusted to astinus son of proetion and exhorted him much to keep the horses near him within sight but he himself returning was mingled with the foremost combatants teucer however drew another arrow against brazen-armed hector and would have made him cease from battle at the ships of the greeks as striking him while bravely fighting he had taken away his life but it did not escape the prudent mind of jove who protected hector and deprived teucer the son of telamon of glory and who jove broke the well-twisted string in his blameless bow as he was drawing against hector but the brass-laden arrow was turned off in another direction and the bow fell from his hand then teucer shuddered and addressed his brother ye gods a deity without doubt cuts short the plans of our battle who has shaken the bow from my hand and has snapped asunder the newly twisted string which i tied to it this morning that it might sustain the shafts frequently bounding from it but him the mighty telamonian ajax then answered o my friend permit then thy bow and numerous arrows to lie aside since a god has confounded them envying the greeks but taking a long spear in thy hands and a shield upon thy shoulder fight against the trojans and encourage the other forces nor let them take the well-benched ships without labour at least although having subdued us but let us be mindful of the fight thus he spoke and he placed his bow within the tents 
then around his shoulders he hung a fourfold shield and upon his brave head fixed a well-made helmet crested with horsehair and the plume nodded dreadfully from above and he grasped a stout spear tipped with sharp brass and hastened to advance and running very quickly stood beside ajax but when hector perceived the arrows of teucer frustrated he encouraged the trojans and lycians calling aloud ye trojans lycians and close-fighting dardanians be men my friends and be mindful of impetuous valour at the hollow ships for i have beheld with my eyes the arrows of their chief warrior rendered vain by jove easily recognizable amongst men is the power of jove as well among those into whose hands he has delivered superior glory as those whom he deteriorates and does not wish to defend as now he diminishes the might of the greeks and aids us but fight in close array at the ships and whichever of you wounded or stricken shall draw on his death and fate let him die it is not inglorious to him to die fighting for his country but his wife shall be safe and his children left behind him his house and patrimony unimpaired if indeed the greeks depart with their ships to their dear fatherland so saying he kindled the strength and spirit of each and ajax again on the other side animated his companions shame o argives now is the moment for us either to perish or to be preserved and to repel destruction from the ships do ye expect that if crest-tossing hector capture the ships ye will reach on foot each his native land do ye not hear hector who now rages to fire the ships inciting all his people nor indeed does he invite them to come to a dance but to a battle but for us there is no opinion or design better than this to join in close fight our hands and strength better either to perish at once or live rather than uselessly to be wasted away for a length of time and dire contention at the ships by inferior men so saying he aroused the strength and courage of each then hector indeed slew scydeus son of perimedes prince of the phocians and ajax slew laodamus leader of the infantry the illustrious son of antenor polydamus slew selenian otis the companion of the son of phileus chief of the magnanimous epeans Medish rushed upon him perceiving it but polydamus stooped obliquely and he missed him for apollo did not suffer the son of panthus to be subdued among the foremost warriors but he wounded croesmus in the middle of the breast with his spear but falling he resounded and he stripped the arms from his shoulders in the meantime dolops the descendant of lampus well skilled in the spear leaped upon him he whom lampus son of laomedon the best of men begat skilled in impetuous fight who then attacking him in close fight struck the middle of medus's shield with his spear but the thick corslet defended him which he wore compact in his cavities this phileus formerly brought from a fire from the river Silaeus, for his host euphates king of men had given it to him to bear into the battle as a defence against the enemy and which then warded off destruction from the body of his son but medus with his sharp spear smote the base of the highest cone of his brazen horse-haired helmet and struck off his horse-haired crest and the whole fell on the ground in the dust lately shining with purple whilst the one Megis standing firm fought with the other dolops and still expected victory meanwhile warlike menelaus came as an assistant to Megis, and stood at his side with his spear escaping notice and wounded him from behind in the shoulder but the spear driven with violence passed through his breast proceeding farther and he fell on his face both then rushed on about to tear the brazen armour from his shoulders but hector strenuously exhorted all his relations and rebuked the gallant menelippus first the son of hicaeton 
He till then had fed his curved-footed oxen at Percote, the enemy being yet at a distance. But when the equally plied barks of the Greeks had arrived, he came back to Troy, and was distinguished amongst the Trojans, and he dwelt near Priam, and he honoured him equally with his sons. But Hector rebuked him, and spoke, and addressed him. Shall we be thus remiss, O Menelippus? Is not thy heart moved, thy kinsmen being slain? Dost thou not perceive how busy they are about the arms of Dolops? But follow, for it is no longer justifiable to fight at a distance with the Greeks, before that either we slay them, or that they tear lofty Ilium from its summit, and slay its citizens. So saying, he led on, and the godlike hero followed with him. But mighty Telamonian Ajax aroused the Greeks. O my friends, be men! and set honour in your hearts, and have reverence for each other during the vehement conflicts. For more of those men who reverence each other are saved than slain. But of the fugitives neither glory arises nor any defence. Thus he spoke, but they too were eager to repel the enemy, and they fixed his advice in their mind, and enclosed the ships with a brazen fence. But Jove urged on the Trojans, and Menelaus, brave in the dead of battle, incited Antilochus, O Antilochus, no other of the Greeks is younger than thou, nor swifter of foot, nor strong as thou art to fight. Would that attacking some here of the Trojans thou couldst wound him. So saying, he on his part withdrew again, and he aroused him. But Antilochus leaped forth from amongst the foremost warriors, and took aim with his shining spear, gazing around him. But the Trojans retired, the hero hurling. But he did not cast his weapon in vain, for he struck magnanimous Menelippus, the son of Hicetaon, in the breast, near the pap, advancing to the battle. And falling, he made a crash, and his arms rang upon him. But Antilochus sprang upon him as a dog that rushes on a wounded fawn, which the huntsman aiming at has wounded, leaping from its lair, and relaxed its limbs under it. Thus, O Menelippus, did warlike Antilochus spring on thee, about to despoil thee of thy armour, but he did not escape noble Hector, who came against him, running through the battle. But Antilochus did not await him, though being an expert warrior, but he fled, like unto a wild beast that has done some mischief, which, having slain a dog or herdsman in charge of oxen, flies before a crowd of men is assembled. So fled the son of Nestor. But the Trojans and Hector, with great clamour, poured forth their deadly weapons. Yet when he reached a band of his own companions, being turned around, he stood, but the Trojans, like raw devouring lions, rushed upon the ships, and were fulfilling the commands of Jove, who ever kept exciting their great strength, and enervated the courage of the Greeks, and took away their glory, but encouraged those. For his mind wished to bestow glory on Hector, the son of Priam, that he might cast the dreadfully burning, indefatigable fire upon the crooked barks, and accomplish all the unseasonable prayer of Thetis. For this did provident Jove await, till he should behold with his eyes the flame of a burning vessel, for from that time he was about to make a retreat of the Trojans from the ships, and to afford glory to the Greeks. Designing these things, he aroused Hector, the son of Priam, against the hollow ships, although himself very eager. But he raged, as when Mars rages, brandishing his spear, or when a destructive fire rages in the mountains, in the thickets of a deep wood, and the foam arose about his mouth, and his eyes flashed from beneath his grim eyebrows, and the helm was shaken awfully upon the temples of Hector, fighting, for Jove himself from the ether was an assistant to him, and honoured and glorified him alone amongst many men, because he was destined to be short-lived, for Pallas Minerva already impelled him towards the fatal day by the might of the son of Peleus, and he wished to break the ranks of heroes, trying them wheresoever he beheld the greatest crowd and the best arms. But not thus was he able to break through them, although very eager. 
for they compact in squares sustained his attack as a lofty huge cliff being near the hoary deep which abides the impetuous inroads of the shrill winds and the swollen billows which are dashed against it thus the greeks firmly awaited the trojans nor fled but he gleaming with fire on all sides rushed upon the crowd and fell upon them as when an impetuous wave wind nurtured from the clouds dashes against a swift ship and the ship is wholly enveloped with the spray and a dreadful blast of wind roars within the sail but the sailors tremble in mind fearing because they are borne but a little way from death thus was the mind of the greeks divided in their breasts he however like a destructive lion coming upon oxen which feed in myriads in the moist ground of a spacious marsh and amongst them a keeper not very skilful in fighting with a wild beast for the slaughter of a crooked horned ox he indeed always accompanies the foremost or hindmost cattle whilst the lion springing into the mist devours an ox and all the rest fly in terror thus then were the greeks wondrously put to flight by hector and father jove but hector slew only mycenae and periphetes the dear son of copreus who went with a messenger of king eurystheus to mighty hercules from this far inferior father sprung a son superior in all kinds of accomplishments as well in the race as in the combat and who in prudence was among the first of the mycenaeans who at that time gave into the hands of hector superior glory for turning backwards he trod upon the rim of his shield which he bore a fence against javelins which reached to his feet by this incommoded he fell upon his back and the helmet terribly sounded round the temples of him fallen but hector quickly perceived and running stood near him and fixed his spear in his breast and slew him near his beloved companions nor indeed were they able although greed for their comrade to avail him for they themselves greatly feared noble hector but they retreated within the line of their ships and the extreme ships enclosed them which were first drawn up and the others were poured in the argives therefore from necessity retreated from the foremost vessels and remained there at their tents in close array and were not dispersed through the camp for shame and fear restrained them and they unceasingly exhorted one another with shouting more particularly did gerenian nestor the guardian of the greeks adjure them by their parents earnestly supplicating each man o oh, my friends be men and place a sense of reverence of other men in your minds call to memory each of you your children wives property and parents as well he to whom they survive as he to whom they are dead for by those not present i here supplicate you to stand bravely nor be ye turned to flight so saying he aroused the might and spirit of each but for them minerva removed the heaven-sent cloud of darkness from their eyes and abundant light arose to them on both sides both towards the ships and towards the equally destructive battle then they observed hector brave in the din of battle and his companions as well whatever of them stood behind and did not fight as those who fought the battle at the swift ships nor was it longer pleasing to the mind of great-hearted ajax to stand there where the other sons of the greeks stood together but he went about upon the decks of the vessels taking long strides and wielding in his hands a great sea-fighting pole studded with iron nails twenty-two cubits long and as when a man well skilled in vaulting upon steeds who after he has selected four horses out of a greater number driving them from the plain urges them towards a mighty city along the public way and him many men and women behold with admiration but he always leaping up firmly and safely changes alternately from one to the other whilst they are flying along so went ajax along many decks of swift ships shouting loudly and his voice reached to the sky 
and always terribly shouting, he ordered the Greeks to defend their ships and tents. Nor indeed did Hector remain among the crowd of well-corseleted Trojans, but as a tawny eagle pounces upon a flock of winged birds, feeding on a river's bank, either geese or cranes or long-necked swans, so did Hector direct his course towards an azured proud vessel, rushing against it. But Jove, with a very mighty hand, impelled him from behind, and animated his forces along with him. Again was a sharp contest waged at the ships. You would have said that, unwearied and indefatigable, they met each other in battle, so furiously they fought. And to them fighting this was the opinion. The Greeks, indeed, thought that they could not escape from destruction, but must perish. But the souls of each within his breast, to the Trojans, hoped to burn the ships, and slay the Grecian heroes. They, thinking these things, opposed one another. But Hector seized the stern of a sea-traversing bark, beautiful, swift, which had carried Partesilaus to Troy, but did not bear him back again to his fatherland. Round his ship the Greeks and Trojans were now slaying one another in close combat, nor did they indeed at a distance await the attacks of arrows and of javelins, but standing near, having one mind, they fought with sharp battle-axes and hatchets, with large swords and two-edged spears, and many fair swords, black-hilted with massive handles, fell to the ground, some indeed from the hands, and others from the shoulders of the contending heroes, and the dark earth streamed with gore. But Hector, after he had seized the vessel by the stern, did not let go, holding the furthest edge with his hands, and he cheered on the Trojans. Bring fire, and at the same time do yourselves together excite the battle. Now hath Jove vouchsafed us a day worth all, to take the ships which coming hither against the will of the gods brought many evils upon us through the cowardice of our elders, who kept me back when desirous myself to fight at the sterns of the ships, and restrained the people. But if indeed far-sounding Jove then injured our minds, he now impels and orders us. Thus he spoke, but they rushed the more against the Greeks. Even Ajax no longer sustained them, for he was overwhelmed with many darts, but thinking he should fall, retired back a short space to the seven-feet bench, and deserted the deck of his equal ship. There he stood watching, and with his spear continually repulsed the Trojans from the ships, whoever might bring the indefatigable fire, and always shouting dreadfully, he animated the Greeks. O my friends, Grecian heroes, servants of Mars, be men, my friends, and be mindful of impetuous strength. Whether do we think that we have any assistance in the rear, or any stronger rampart which may avert destruction from the men? Indeed, there is not any other city near, fortified with towers, where we may be defended, having a reinforcing army. But bordering on the sea, we sit on the plain of the well-armed Trojans, far away from our native land. Therefore safety is in our exertions, not in remission of battle." He said, and furious, charged with his sharp spear, whoever of the Trojans was borne towards the hollow ships with burning fire, for the sake of Hector who incited them. Him Ajax wounded, receiving him with his long spear, and he slew twelve in close fight before the ships. End of Book the Fifteenth Read by Stephen Carney
Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.